This episode of The Dig is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon and by Verso Books, which has loads of great left-wing titles, perfect for Dig listeners like you. One that you might like is Mistaken Identity, Race and Class in the Age of Trump by Assad Hader. Whether class or race is the more important factor in modern politics is a question right at the heart of recent history's most contentious debates. Among groups who should readily find common ground, there is little agreement. To escape this deadlock, Assad Hader turns to the rich legacies of the black freedom struggle. Drawing on the words and deeds of black revolutionary theorists, he argues that identity politics, as we have come to know it, is not synonymous with anti-racism, but instead amounts to the neutralization of its movements. It marks a retreat from the crucial passage of identity to solidarity, and from individual recognition to the collective struggle against an oppressive social structure. Weaving together autobiographical reflection, historical analysis, and theoretical exegesis, mistaken identity is a passionate call for a new practice of politics beyond colorblind chauvinism and the ideology of race. And to make this add into a bit of an advertorial, I'd like to point out that I just finished the book. It's really stellar, and I'll be interviewing Assad shortly. Mistaken Identity, Race and Class in the Age of Trump by Assad Hader. Out now from Verso Books. Welcome to The Dig, a podcast from Jacobin Magazine. My name is Daniel Denver, and I'm broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's victory should make New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, a larger-than-life bully and ideological chameleon, very afraid. He faces a challenge from my guest today, Cynthia Nixon, who has spent the years after her time on Sex in the City organizing for public education. After what happened to Joe Crowley, the left is more energized than ever, and what once appeared to be a long-shot attack on the king of New York politics now appears like it might just hit its target. Before we get rolling, we depend on your support at patreon.com slash the dig to keep this podcast going strong. If you haven't donated yet and you like what we do, please contribute what you can at patreon.com slash the dig. We also have lefty books and an excellent newsletter to send you. Okay, here's Cynthia Nixon, part of this week's extensive and voluminous series on left-wing politics in the wake of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win. Next up this week, I'll be speaking to Senator Bernie Sanders. Cynthia Nixon, welcome to The Dig. Thank you so much. Governor Cuomo seemed genuinely spooked by your campaign from the get-go, but after Ocasio-Cortez's win, his people were frantically calling reporters to, to spin it to mean anything but what it clearly did mean, which is that the left is on the upswing in New York and that the Democratic establishment is, is in some trouble. How do you see Ocasio-Cortez's win and what do you make of Cuomo's response? I agree with you. I think Andrew Cuomo is, is really running scared. Uh, and Alexandria's win was an enormous uh, red-letter day for us, all, not just in New York State, but I think across this country. People who care about progressive politics. 
And it reinforced what we've been saying um, since I entered the campaign, which is that uh, New York is a proudly progressive place. It's a two to one democratic state. Um, and we have so many elected leaders, starting with Andrew Cuomo, who don't reflect those progressive values. And when you give people an alternative, you give people someone who's outside the establishment, who's not um, accepting corporate donations, um, and who wants to enact real change, um, New Yorkers will, will, will seize that opportunity. In terms of the, the broader debate within the Democratic Party and with, within American politics, things seem to be changing and moving really fast. Nancy Pelosi was recently asked after Ocasio-Cortez's win if she thought socialism was ascendant within the Democratic Party. And she, of course, said said no. What did you make of, of her response? And what do you make of just this whirlwind of left momentum that we were suddenly living with? Uh, I think Nancy Pelosi is dead wrong. I think that that is exactly what's happening. Uh, I think uh, that, of course, wealthy people and, and big corporations have always had an outsized influence on American politics and on world politics. Uh, but at this moment, when you look at what the agendas of corporations are and then you look at governmental policies, there is almost no daylight between them. Uh, and we're we're at a time where we as progressives and we as Democrats uh, have to start speaking about things that are, are the main headline uh, for for most of our for most of our people, but our elected leaders keep sidestepping. We have to talk about economic inequality and racial inequality and gender inequality, and we have to put forth plans to combat this inequality because this inequality is destroying our country and it's swallowing our democracy whole. I want to set the table. Um, before we get any further, by asking you to lay out a bill of particulars on Cuomo, particularly for my listeners outside of New York, why exactly do so many people, particularly but by no means exclusively on the left, dislike the governor so much? And and what sort of leadership do you propose as an alternative? New York is a two to one democratic state. And I think if you look at the lack of progressive innovation and change that's happened here, uh, in the last seven and a half years, you can lay that directly at the doorstep of, of Andrew Cuomo, uh, because you know there's a reason that the Koch brothers gave him eighty-seven thousand dollars when he ran in 2010 first first time successfully, because despite him calling himself a Democrat, he has he has governed like a Republican and he's handed over massive amounts of power to the Republican Party. He's allowed the Republicans in the state Senate to gerrymander their own districts. And behind closed doors, he actually, as soon as he entered office, he incentivized a group of Democratic state senators to vote and caucus with the Republicans, shoring up their majority. We've actually had a Democratic majority in the state Senate for the last more than five years. But the Republicans control that body because Andrew Cuomo has enabled them to and encouraged them to. And it's the reason that we have so, so little progressive change. It's the reason we haven't become a leader in renewable energy and or enacted campaign finance reform. It's the reason we haven't passed the Reproductive Health Act or GENDA or the New York Dream Act uh, or the, the, the Liberty Act, which would protect um, our undocumented people from, from ICE. Um, 
it's also not just that he's given political power to them, but that his policies are, are purely Republican, that upon entering office, he he eliminated the bank tax, he slashed taxes on corporations, he slashed taxes on everybody earning more than $300,000 a year, that in seven budgets, he's cumulatively cut $25 billion out of state's revenue. Um, he's done exactly, uh, you know, Donald Trump's enormous tax cut and the resulting devastation that's going to happen to our to our social safety net and our our most basic services that that protect the the most vulnerable we've already we've already been doing that in new york ever since andrew cuomo um entered office and if if he was a republican we would have voted him out of office a long time ago but because he's a democrat and because he's the son of mario cuomo and because he's a genius at get, <laughs> getting headlines rather than enacting change the uh, New Yorkers have a, a false sense of security about how progressive our state really is, because Andrew Cuomo keeps telling us so. But what our campaign is doing is saying, look at all these things that New Yorkers want that we could have had. But Andrew Cuomo hasn't fought for them. And Andrew Cuomo has actually empowered the other side to make sure we don't get them. Well, especially since you announced your campaign, he's tried to present himself as a very different sort of politician to New York voters as a progressive one, as you just mentioned. According to a tally that I saw in The Nation, he's moved left on marijuana, criminal justice, immigration, transit, and public housing. And the environment. And on reconciling the IDC, this group of, of uh, state Democratic state senators that he uh, encouraged to join the Republicans, he's been saying for seven and a half years that he had nothing to do with it and no control over it. And I entered the race, and two weeks later, he had a press conference with the head of the the Democratic, uh, the Senate Democrats and the IDC Democrats saying that they were reconciled. You aren't the first person to mount a left-wing challenge to, to Cuomo. How do you think that the political conditions have changed in New York since Zephyr Teachout challenged him four years ago? I think what Zephyr Teachout did four years ago was enormously inspiring. It's one of the things that encouraged me to run. She, she, she ran a terrific campaign and she saw, she showed that there was so much appetite for a progressive challenger. But I also think that she had a real, um, it was very difficult for her to, to get on television because people didn't take her, her candidacy seriously. They didn't understand what a big, uh, what a big part of the electric electorate she was going to capture but also certainly the election of Donald Trump is is the game changer that's happened since 4 years ago and yeah it was a, a tremendous wake up call for people and i'm 52 never before in my lifetime have i seen such a hunger for enacting progressive change both for our people here on the ground and as a way of combating the the trump agenda uh nationally um and you know, the good news is we have the ability to do it here in New York State because we're such a progressive, such a democratic bastion. But we haven't we're going to miss this moment if we don't have the we don't have a governor who's actually a progressive leader who will who will seize this moment and will galvanize this this appetite for change. We've touched on this a bit already, but I want to emphasize for listeners that Cuomo is really one of the most brazenly and cynically Machiavellian politicians I've, who's ever lived, maybe. There's him, him shutting down the Moreland Commission, which was investigating corruption. There are the independent Democrats, which we've talked about, which he used to prop up Republican control of the Senate. 
And then there are these fights that he constantly picks with de Blasio simply as far as I can tell because he thinks he can win them and enjoys winning them. Tell me about Cuomo's personality and character and how you think New Yorkers assess those uh, things. Andrew Cuomo doesn't seem to like Democrats very much, despite him calling himself one. It's not just de Blasio. He he undermines to his, his best ability every Democrat that he comes in contact with. Um, he seems much more comfortable with Republicans. He allows he can he doesn't actually campaign for Republicans, but he allows them to use his image and his 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 words in in their in their literature in their campaign literature. He never ever steps in to help a Democrat secure a seat, even in a hotly contested election. He never uses uh, any of the money available, uh, of which he has a you know a has boatloads. He's raised so far $31 million um, in his campaign coffers. He controls the New York State Democratic uh, campaign coffers. 0.1% of that, I will say, comes in small donor donations. Uh, We receive more small donor donations in a single day than he received in seven years. Um, He's a Democrat because he is the son of Mario Cuomo. And he is a Democrat because he's running in in New York State. Um, but he is a politician who has always been about consolidating his own power rather than his adherence to any particular political ideology, which is why, you know, as soon as we entered the race, as you you, you were saying previously, he's trying to desperately, quickly uh, make himself over as a progressive, it, 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 it doesn't seem like there's really any there there in terms of his ideas. <laughs> he's no. really just trying to capture the moment. And I think, frankly, he's such a centrist because of the time when he was elected. He was elected in 2010. And uh, it was the moment of centrism when we all thought perhaps, you know, Mitt Romney was going to be president. It was the moment of the Tea Party where both both sides were or trying to find these centrist candidates that would appeal to people across the board. Well, he's stuck in 2010, um, and he is just barely beginning to wake up to the fact that um, we're, we're at a moment where Democrats, at least, really want their their leaders and their candidates to stand for something and to stand for something big and bold. I agree. Is an entirely instrumental view of politics where ideology just for him is completely at the service of of the interests of advancing his own interests in power. Um, that perhaps one of the worst things he's done in terms of political thuggery is the way he has tried to destroy the Working Families Party and its supporters since, since the moment it became clear that they would endorse you. I, I explain what that retaliation has looked like and what it reveals about how Cuomo operates. The Working Families Party... Uh, did not endorse Zephyr Teachout four years ago, as it was widely hoped and thought that they would. Um, and when it became clear to the Cuomo, to Cuomo and the Cuomo people that they were going to endorse me, he really went ballistic. And he had the unions who uh, who provide a lot of the funding for the Working Families Party pull out. And he, moreover, there were a, a, a group of really important grassroots organizations like New York Communities for Change and Citizen Action and Make the Road, who endorsed my candidacy. Uh, Andrew Cuomo had the unions, the unions at his behest, um, you know, threatened them with the funding. 
that they they provide for those for those organizations that are really grassroots organizations on the front lines of protecting people uh, from the Trump agenda and really fighting to protect protect immigrants and working class people when it comes to housing, when it comes to educate education, when it comes to immigration. Um, the idea that that a that an elected leader who who calls himself a Democrat, who calls himself a progressive, would be so so vicious and so small-minded about attacking these organizations that are, are really on the front lines just shows that he doesn't really care about the vast majority of working people in this state. He really cares about his own political fortunes. Okay, I want to talk about a few of your core policy issues. First, obviously, public education is the fight that you have the longest personal history with. It, explain the current yeah. current separate, unequal, and underfunded state of New York public education and what you propose to do to change it. Right. So I will try and answer this in a rapid fire way, but there is obviously an enormous amount to say about this. But I'll just I'll just say that fighting for better and more equitable school funding for New York State's public schools is something that I've engaged in for the last 17 years, because New York State has the second most unequally funded school system in the entire country. And the top 100 school districts spend 10,000 more per pupil than the bottom 100 school districts. And that gap has only widened under Andrew Cuomo, and it's wider now than it's ever been. The good news is that since 1993, people have been fighting this fight and have brought a lawsuit um, called the Campaign for Fiscal Equity, which completely, not only does it add to a great increase in funding, three quarters of that funding goes to low income, high needs districts, largely black and brown districts. And that lawsuit wended its way through the courts for years, but in 2006, it was finally settled. And Elliot Spitzer was our Democratic governor at that time, and he he said, we have to enact this, we have to fund this, and we were halfway there. And then the recession hit, and Governor Patterson and Governor Cuomo came in and cut all of that progress out and then cut even deeper. So by Andrew Cuomo not funding the Campaign for Fiscal Equity, the solution is called Foundation Aid, by him not Funding foundation aid. We're owed $4.2 billion across the state. Um, he is ignoring the ruling of New York's highest court. Um, and if you had to, you know, attribute the issue that I have the longest history, as you said, but also care the most about, and is just something that would completely change everything about New York State, and not just not just for our kids and for our future, but the more we will fund education here, um, that's the way we're going to starve the criminal justice system. And that's there. There are two. There are two sides of the same coin. And right now, we're investing far too much in incarceration and policing, and far too little in schools. And then there's transit. New York subways are collapsing. Why has the system got into this atrocious point, And how do you propose to fix it? The New York City subway is in the terrible shape it's in. Uh, because of a few decades of underfunding, but mostly in the last eight years, Andrew Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo has given tax breaks to people who don't need it, and then he has decimated our infrastructure, and nowhere is this more apparent than his defunding of the New York City subway. Uh, we have the worst on-time transit record of, of any system in the world. Uh, delays have tripled under him, and Train speeds are now slower than they were in the 1950s. 
actually in 1950 itself. And the good news is we know how to fix, we, we, we know how to, how to, how to, what the technology is that we need to enact, but we have to have a governor who makes it a priority. And as somebody who's on the trains every day, whose wife, whose kids are on the trains every day, and who lives in New York City, we understand how vitally important this is. If we let the subway system die, the city of New York will die along with it. And right now it's on life support. My last question is, is a big picture one. What do you think can be accomplished by building a left alternative on the state level in New York as something that can, one, concretely improve people's lives, obviously, two, act as a bulwark against the Trump administration, and three, I think, create a, a laboratory of sorts for the sort of policies and politics that we're going to need to replace Trump with? Because obviously, Democratic Party business, as usual, has failed <laughs> at this. Well, I, I think you put it exactly right to combat the Trump agenda, to protect our own people, and to provide a laboratory because New York State is the rightful capital of the resistance. Right now, California is getting all the glory. New York is being left behind in the dust by so many other states that are enacting progressive change. States far less progressive than we are. Um, New York um, should be the leader in renewable energy. We have the Climate and Communities Protection Act, the most progressive piece of, of, of renewable energy legislation anywhere in the country. But we need leadership from the governor's mansion to, to partner with the, with the legislature to enact it. We can enact real uh, Medicare for all single payer system here. Um, we can make housing affordable for everyone. We can we can create uh, a, an education system in which every child has what he or she needs to succeed. Um, we can do real criminal justice reform. We can make New York a sanctuary state, not just rhetorically, but with with actual policy, offering protections, offering things like. Um, driver's licenses to undocumented people, which is the number one way ICE is coming in and, and tearing families apart and turning New York into a police state. And we can enact campaign finance reform. Until we enact campaign finance reform across the board, um, we're not going to see any real change. It's the reform that gives birth to all the other reforms. Um, and certainly New York's system is one of the most unjust and the most broken um, and it's going to be a heavy lift. But again, there is such appetite and hunger and such a progressive base here. We can do it. And New York State is, has been the home for hundreds of years to so many progressive movements that we now that then spread throughout the country and that we now just take for granted, not as progressive innovations, but just as plain old common sense. Like women and voting. <laughs> like women voting. Exactly. Um <laughs> Like, like, like ending slavery, like the LGBT people being fully human and deserving of rights. This is the place where, where so many of those movements have started. And we're at a moment where we have the chance to lead again in New York and to lead the country in a decisive and bold um, direction that can reclaim not just our state, but eventually our entire country for the vast majority of, of the people living here, not just for the wealthiest and not just for corporations who are who are playing the tune right now that our politicians are dancing to. Cynthia Nixon, thank you so very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you. 
Cynthia Nixon is running for governor in the Democratic primary against New York Sith Lord Andrew Cuomo. Thank you for listening to The Dig from Jacobin Magazine. As Marx once said after noting that working class politics compels legislative recognition of particular interests of the workers by taking advantage of the divisions among the bourgeoisie itself, while other podcasts have only interpreted the world in various ways, our point is to change it. We are posting new episodes every week. This week, a lot of episodes reflecting on left politics in the wake of Ocasio-Cortez's win. The Dig was produced by Alex Lewis, music by Jeffrey Brodsky. Follow us on Twitter at The Dig Radio and do find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. If it's on iTunes, please leave us a friendly review. Those reviews help introduce us to new listeners. What also does that is you telling friends, family, total strangers about the show. All propaganda on our behalf is very much appreciated. And please do find us at patreon.com slash the dig and make a monthly contribution to keep this podcast going strong. Even a few bucks is a big help. 